Carson Rock, and I'm filling in for Trev today, and I'm, uh, I was really excited when he asked me to come and to speak again, and I've had the privilege to do it a couple times before, and it's usually a good sign when you get asked back, so I'm glad that I can, I'm getting to do it again. That's uh, always positive, but as a church, we've been going through Acts for a long time now, and we've been working through the book of Acts. I think it's going on something like 30 weeks, so it's been a while, better part of a year, um, but it's really been great, and the Lord's been teaching us a lot through it. And we're just going to keep going on where we left off a couple of weeks ago in Acts chapter 13 today. So if you want to go ahead and start turning that direction, um, Acts chapter 13, verse 13 is where we're going to start. But um, a- as you're getting there, just a quick recap of where we've been. Last week we had church in the park, and that was just a really great thing to get out and to get to meet our neighbors and to spend time with them. and share lunch and fellowship um, and to be a part of this community and the neighborhood that the church is around. And so hope you were there for that. It was a really fun thing. Um, and so a, a few weeks ago, if you remember uh, where we've been in Acts, the church is just spreading a whole lot. And the Lord has been doing a lot through the new believers. Uh, the Holy Spirit has come and has empowered them and sent them out uh, as a result of the persecution. Christians have been scattered all across the uh, all across the region, and they're beginning to make new disciples with the people that they encounter and continue to share the gospel with new people that they come in contact with. So we've seen the church spread a whole lot over the past few chapters in Acts, um, and we have seen that really impact the way that people live their lives. We've seen the believers in Antioch just a few weeks ago sent supplies to the church in Judea so that they could help provide for a famine that was coming for them, and selflessly, even though that famine might come back and impact them. And we've seen just account after account through Acts of believers' lives being changed and then living changed lives as a result of what the gospel of Jesus Christ has done for them. Um, And it's having such an impact that it's causing an issue for some of the Jewish leaders. And when Herod came into power and and was put in charge over Jerusalem, he imprisoned and killed James. And the Jewish leaders were really pumped about that. They were glad he did that because they thought that was going to help squash this movement that was being called Christianity, and so uh, he thought that was great, so he imprisoned Peter, and he said, I'm going to go ahead and do the same thing to him, and the believers prayed earnestly that Peter would be set free, and he was. Uh, An angel came and delivered him out of prison, and Peter just walked right out. It was great, Um, and so we saw that happen a couple weeks ago, how God is providing for the church, and he's raising up leaders in the church and empowering them through the Holy Spirit to be able to do really great things to further the kingdom. And then two weeks ago, um, and where we're going to pick up from, is Barnabas and Saul started their missionary journey. So Saul's now being called Paul, and they started this missionary journey, and they went to the island of Cyprus. And on the island of Cyprus, they opposed a false teacher, and after they did that and some things happened to him, the pro-council and the leader of that island became a believer and a disciple of Christ. And so it was a really cool thing that we saw happen two weeks ago. So we're going to pick up from that right now. In uh, chapter 13, verse 13, so if you'll turn with me there, you have a Bible in the seat um, if you don't have one of your own, but, and you're welcome to take that if you don't have one of your own. We'd love for you to have that copy of God's Word. Um, so starting in verse 13, it says, From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga and Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the synagogue rulers sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Men of Israel and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. 
The God of the people of Israel chose our fathers. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. He endured their conduct for about 40 years in the desert. He overthrew seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not that one. But he is coming after me, whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, children of Abraham, and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. Let's pray real quick, and then we'll uh, look at what this passage says. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it is true, that it is perfect. Lord, we can trust in and believe that you have a message for us today. We ask that your Holy Spirit uh, would speak to our hearts, God, uh, and that you would come and reveal gospel truth through your word today. Just take a moment in your own hearts and ask God to come and to speak to you and to uh, teach you something new about his character and his love for you today. After you do that, uh, just take a moment and ask God to do that in the life of someone around you. Uh, maybe someone you don't know, someone you do know, but ask the Lord to come and to work in someone else's life as we want to be people who pray for others as well. All right, Father, thank you again so much for this opportunity that we have to look at your word and learn from it. God, we're thankful for that blessing. We're thankful to live in a place where we can do that and get together in fellowship as believers. Bless this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so there's a couple main points that uh, we want to get out of this passage today. And the first one is we can see an amazing example of God's redemptive movement throughout the history of the Jewish nation. And Paul goes through that in this speech as he talks about from the beginning of the promise with Abraham all the way to Jesus coming, um, that God has been working out redemption for his people time and time again, and then ultimate redemption through Christ. So that's one of the things that we want to look at today is how to see the gospel through the lens of the Old Testament and to read the Old Testament with what we know about what Christ has done for us and fulfilled the prophecy of the Old Testament in mind. And then the second thing that we want to focus on is uh, how we can learn from what Paul says and how he shares the gospel and how he testifies to what Jesus has done. Because that, uh, as we've seen throughout Acts, is a common theme and something that all believers should be engaging in is actively sharing their faith. And so we want to learn from how Paul does that and how that can affect what, uh, how we share the gospel in our own daily lives. But there's a couple small points that would be easy to gloss over real quick, and I don't want to just skip over them because it's important to try to get all of what God's Word says. So in verse 13, what we see is that John, also called John Mark, leaves Paul and Barnabas and goes back to Jerusalem. And this is pretty important. We know it is because it comes up again in Acts chapter 15, and in, uh, that's when Paul and Barnabas are about to go on their second missionary journey, and they actually split uh, and decide not to go together over the issue of whether or not to take John Mark because he has deserted them once before, as they say. Uh, they actually say he deserts them, and 
Scripture is not clear why he left. He could have been homesick. He might have gotten sick. That's some of the speculation. It's also possible that he didn't like that Paul had kind of become the, the main leader of this because Barnabas was actually his cousin. Or he may have just not been cut out for it, thought it was too dangerous, and wanted to go home. But regardless of, of why he quit, Scripture is clear just a couple chapters later that he should not have given up on the mission that God had put him on, which I think has a lot of implications for our lives. Because we as believers, no matter where you're at, where you work, what you do, how you spend your time, whether you're in school, doesn't matter. God has put us all uh, on, on this mission of life, and the call of a Christ follower is to continue to pursue him and to actively engage other people as we talk about what God has done in our lives. And uh, it, it doesn't matter what's going on in your life today or how hard it is. Scripture calls us to continue to persevere. In James chapter 1, it talks about considering it pure joy whenever we face trials of many kinds because the testing of our faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work so that we can be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. And so wherever you're at today and whatever you might be encountering in life, whether you're in a, a really difficult time or a really easy time, let's learn from the lesson of John Mark and continue on the path that God has called us to and the ministry that God has laid out in front of us um, because that's, that's really important. So just be encouraged and learn from that. Um, and then second of all, in verse 14, uh, it'd be really easy to gloss over, but we see that Paul and Barnabas uh, observe the Sabbath. They enter the synagogue and they sit down. And... Just in the Western culture that we're in today, that's a really easy thing to kind of forget, to honor the Sabbath and to keep it holy. But God commands us to do that, and Paul and Barnabas, who are New Testament Christians, don't consider themselves exempt from that. No matter how busy they might have been or what they've been going through. We know that they've sailed from the island of Cyprus to the coast at Perga, and then John deserts them, which is quite a setback. And then they travel inland into the city of Antioch. And so in Antioch, they've just gone a really long ways, but they still decide to honor the Sabbath and to keep it holy and, and go and do what God has called them to do. So as believers, just be encouraged. And, uh, you know, it, it says a lot that you're here today and honoring this Sabbath and trying to keep it holy. But be refreshed in God's word. Take time to rest because it's important. And God calls us to do it and learn from that example of Paul and Barnabas and what they're doing here. So. We see that happen, and then in verse 15, what we see happen is that they're invited to come and speak. And they say, brothers, if you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak. And this sounds a little weird because these guys just kind of roll into town and get asked to come up and talk in church. But this was not an uncommon practice uh, in the time of this era. They would, there would be traveling rabbis and preachers who would come along, and after they finished the order of the service with the reading of the law and the scripture, those people would typically be asked if, they were in town to come up and to give a word of encouragement or a short, short message. And so uh, we'll know, just to, as we'll look at next week, that the rulers of the synagogue had no idea what they were getting into when they asked Paul to come up and speak because he's going to turn their world upside down and proclaim that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, which we're going to look at today. Um, but So that's not uncommon, and that's where we pick up here in verse 16, that Paul stands up and motions with his hand and says, Men of Israel and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our fathers. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. He endured their conduct for about 40 years in the desert. He overthrew seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. So Paul's really starting at the baseline for the Jewish people. He's referencing all the way back to Genesis chapter 15 
when God makes a covenant with Abraham and says, I will give you a son and out of him will come many nations and all the nations will be blessed. And he says that he'll give you the promised land of Canaan. So God tells Abraham this and he actually tells him in verse 12 that his people will wonder and be strangers in the land for a while until that God delivers them into the promised land. And we see that as Paul is referencing that here, that that would really identify with his Jewish audience. They'd all be well aware of their history and the history of their culture and what happened. They celebrate Passover every year, and it's something that's at the forefront of their mind. So what we see Paul doing here is he's using Old Testament scripture to reference and lead people to the fact that Christ is the promised Messiah, that he's the promised Savior and the fulfillment of Old Testament scripture. And, and that's the argument that he's making here today. So we as New Testament believers get to look at that, and we can learn from that example. Because what we see happen here is that God's people, Israel, have been taken in bondage and slavery into Egypt. And they spent a lot of time there being slaves. And it was something they couldn't get themselves out of. But God raised up Moses, and Moses came and delivered them from that bondage and that slavery. And that's not unlike the situation that we as believers find ourselves in today. There's a lot of correlations in the Old Testament between how God cares for, provides for, and re redeems time and time again the, his chosen people, Israel, and how he relates to us through Christ, his chosen people, um, forever. And so we, uh, we can learn a lot from that. And we see that Jesus has come and rescued us from the slavery and the bondage of sin. And that's a, a really great reminder as we see God redeem Israel out of Egypt. We can remember that God has redeemed us out of a bigger slavery and bondage. It's not just physical, but it is spiritual and it is to sin. So we can be thankful for that and learn from that lesson as we see that Paul teaches us about that. We can also look as uh, he moves on from what happened in, in, in the beginning of Israel's history and those promises that he made to Abraham and how he fulfilled those things and redeemed his people through that, that he begins to reference in verse 20, the judges. And the judges is a really interesting time in Israel's history. They went through these cycles of ups and downs. Um, the book of Judges starts with the death of Joshua, who came after Moses and led the Israelites into the promised land. And the Israelites were supposed to finish what Joshua had started by clearing out the land that God had given them and inhabiting it. But when their leader died, they decided, as the Bible tells us, uh, to do what was right in their own eyes. And they fell into sin. And as they fell into sin, they commingled with the nations that were there. They began to worship their gods instead of the one true God. And so God turned his back on them. And then they realized it repented of their sin, and God would raise up a judge. And this happened time and time and time again. We see judges that you've probably heard about like Deborah and Samson and Gideon, who God would raise up when the Israelites would repent once they realized that they had sinned and after they had lost the judge, and he would redeem them once again from the situation that their sin had put them into. So it's important for us to understand a couple things from the Israelites as we see this example in Judges. And, and the first is that when we're left to do what's right in our own eyes, we will turn to sin. Uh, and, th and that's a gospel truth that is relevant throughout Scripture and throughout all time. And in Romans chapter 3, it's really clear that all of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory. That none of us are exempt from punishment because all of us have sinned against God. And we see that the Israelites, when God would raise up a judge, things would be good. They'd pursuing God again. But as soon as that leader that they had would die, they would forget what, the way that they were led and fall right back into sin because they were left to do what was right in their own eyes. And so not only can we learn from judges that we need 
a savior. We need a leader. We need a judge, someone to direct us. But we can learn that we need one that won't go away and that won't pass away, a judge that won't die. And that's what we have, and the gospel shows us that we have in Christ, is we have a judge who reigns at the right hand of God, who will never die, who has conquered sin and death and is eternal. And we get to uh, enjoy and relish in that because we have a solution to the cycle of sin that we see in Judges. And so these are things that Paul is referencing, and his audience would probably understand a lot about what happened as he references these time periods and these people. And we can see a lot of, of gospel truth in these passages. And just as a side note, I would encourage you to spend time in the Old Testament. It's easy for us to focus on a lot of things in the New Testament because we think it's maybe more relevant to us, but there is just tons of relevance in the Old Testament about how it applies to our life and how God redeems his people. And these are just a few of the examples. The next one that we see Paul give is the example of Samuel. And there's a lot of gospel significance with Samuel. He's a, he's a person that you should dive into his life and, and, and learn from. He's one of the few people in scripture who, like Jesus, we learn about his birth all the way to his death, and we hear a lot about him everywhere in between. There's not a ton of figures that come up like that in the Bible, and so he's definitely one to pay attention to. But Samuel is a, is a leader who was given by God after he was prayed for by his mother Hannah, and, he, and he's raised up as a prophet. And he's actually the last judge in the judges cycle, because after Samuel will become king, will become kings, as uh, Paul references, that they will ask for a king after that. But Samuel did a great job leading the people for a really long time. But when he got old, 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 4 tells us that the uh, elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. So this is just one of the great moments in Samuel's life that we can see a lot of gospel significance of how God is working in their people and giving example after example of how his people need redemption. And we from believers can learn a lot about how God's chosen people, Israel, relate to God in this instance. Because we see at the end of Samuel's time as being a judge, they come and they say, we want a king just like the nations have. And I think it's easy for us as believers today to say, we want a king like the world tells us we need to have. We want what the world says we should have. Or we want our church to look like what the world thinks it should look like. We want our lives, the way we talk, the way we act, to mirror what the world says is good and is worthwhile. And that could be a, something different for everyone. You know, it may be your career. It may be time with people that you care about. It may be uh, having fun or pleasure, success, money. It could be a lot of things. Um, but the world will continue to tell us that we need that king in our life besides God. Because Israel had the perfect setup, right? They did not have an earthly king. They had a heavenly king who reigned and would lead them through a judge. But God was still ultimately king over Israel. And they wanted a human king because they thought that they needed the things that the world told them that they needed. And this is a really common thing that we as people today can fall into. We can fall into the same belief that the people uh, in Samuel's day thought that they needed. They look around and think, wow, that looks better than what I have, uh, even though... If they would have thought about it, they had God as their king, which is the best. But they obviously didn't think about it very much. And so um, we should just learn from that and learn from their example about how we can view God and how we can stay away from the sin and the temptation of 
thinking what the world offers is better than what God offers because what the world offers is never better. And we see that because we know what happens with Saul, right? Acts, uh, Saul continues here in Acts, and Paul can, both names work, but his name's Paul here. Well, because we're talking about Saul. Um, Paul can, goes on by saying that the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. And we, and we know what happened to Saul, because the Old Testament tells us that Saul was a good king uh, for a little while. And at the beginning, uh, he's described as just the obvious candidate for the choice for the job. First Samuel chapter 9 tells us that Saul was very impressive. He was young and that there was no one equal like him in all of Israel and that he was a head taller than everyone else. So when we look and see the kind of the dimensions and the package that Saul is, he's kind of got it all. He's more talented than anybody else. He looks better than anyone else and he's kind of the man for the job. He's everything that the world would say, this is what your king should look like. He should be your best, your brightest, your best looking, just you know, the man. That should be your king. And uh, so they got Saul, but we know how that turned out. Saul trusted in his own logic instead of what God told him to do and, and disobeyed God. And so God removed his, his blessing from Saul and raised up David as king. And David, as we, we also know, will go on to be the greatest king or the greatest human king in Israel's history. David cleared out God's enemies like he was supposed to. He was faithful to God's word. And Paul even references it here that... Uh, God says concerning David, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And the funny thing that we can learn from David's life, uh, just one of them, there's a ton of things from David's life, but one great thing that stands out to me is um, how David is really a, a Christ prototype in a lot of ways. The things that happen to David in David's life are very much so foreshadowing for what would happen to Jesus in Jesus' life. And just as Israel looked for the king that the world told them that they would want, David was not necessarily the king that the world would have thought that, they, that the world would have suggested Israel needed. And when Samuel went to anoint the king at Jesse's house, Jesse didn't even have David line up with the rest of his sons because he didn't look like what a king was supposed to look like. And he was too young or too small or too much whatever. He, his dad did not even think he was eligible, and yet God would use David, this young man, to be the greatest king and the greatest leader that Israel had. And he was still who they would look to to this day when Paul was uh, coming in and preaching this sermon as the pinnacle of success in terms of following God. Um, and we see that parallel very well with who Jesus is, because Jesus comes in and he's humble. He's a son of a carpenter. And as the Jews expect a military leader, the best, the brightest, who would lead them to freedom from Rome and make Israel great again, like in the days of David, because Scripture prophesied that the Savior would be a descendant of David. Instead, Jesus comes and he saves them from something much bigger than military oppression. He saves them from their sin. And he's unassuming, just like David was. He's not what the leaders might have been looking for, what the world would have told them they should have been looking for. But David is... Uh, but Jesus is uh, ultimately the Savior. And that's what Paul has come, and that's what he proclaims here in verse 23. He says, from this man's descendants, referring to David, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, as he promised. And so this is a huge statement, because Paul is coming in, and he got asked to give a few encouraging words to the audience there today after the scripture was read. And what he comes in, and he actually says that prophecy in scripture has been fulfilled. From the promise that God made to Abraham all the way back in the beginning when he said that I will bless the world through your offspring. He's referring to Jesus is what Paul says. 
when he said that he made the Davidic covenant with uh, King David and said that I will have a, a member of your family on the throne forever. He was referring to Jesus who would reign eternally as Savior. And that's what Paul is coming and proclaiming to these people. So it's a radical message that Paul has come. And he's basically saying everything you've been taught that Scripture is leading up to for your whole life to this Jewish audience has been fulfilled in Jesus. It's, it's earth-shattering news. And we're going to see a lot more next week about how they respond to that. It's, it's really interesting. It's going to turn this town upside down next week. But there, there's just a couple things that I think we can learn from the way that Paul says this and the way that Paul does this. So as, as you're thinking about the Old Testament, you know, that, that first big thing would be take away, take away from it that the Old Testament has tons of gospel implications in it. As we read through it, it paints a story of how Jesus and God has been working since the beginning of time, since he made that first promise with Abraham, and even before, planning to redeem you and I and, and the whole world. Uh, for those of us who trust in Christ, we have that opportunity. And God has been planning that out, and we can see that. And that's what Paul comes and he preaches. Paul comes and, and he's really bold about preaching that Jesus is is the promised Savior, the better judge, the prophet, and the king. He's better, he's better than all of those, all those heroes of uh, the Jewish faith that he listed out. He's, he's saying that Jesus is better and fulfills everything that those people have been leading up to. And so this has one really important implication for us, and I think that it's that we need to be ready to share our faith, as Paul was. Paul's been on this journey. They've been going. They had some setbacks. John Mark left them, and then when it he gets asked if he wants to speak in the service, he's ready to go. He stands up and boldly proclaims that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures and that he's going to go on to say what we'll look at next week is that um, these people need to submit to Christ's lordship because he, he's the promised Messiah. And so Paul comes and, and he's really ready. And part of that is because he knows God's word really well. And Paul had a little bit of advantage on us. He had a couple PhDs at this time, and so he was really well-versed in Scripture. But I think it's challenging for us as believers to think about how well we know God's Word, because we all have a copy, and if you don't have one, take the one in your seat so you don't have an excuse anymore, but we all have a copy of God's Word, and we have the opportunity to look at it, and we have the opportunity to study it and know it so that we can be ready when our opportunity comes to share the good news of what God has done for us. And uh, th that doesn't mean that you have to be an expert in scripture or theology or anything like that to be able to share the faith. Because for those of us who are in Christ and have had their lives changed by what God has done for them, you already know enough to tell someone else the story of what has happened to you and how God has transformed your life so that, you can, uh, so that he can transform theirs as well. But I think it's important for us to remember the focus on spending time with God's word as believers so that we can be well-versed like Paul was and we can be ready whenever a situation presents itself. Uh, Romans 15.4 says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. And I love that verse because it just highlights the importance of our understanding of scripture and how we can uh, better know God's word so that we can be encouraged and have hope and provide that hope and pass it on to other people. And uh, we can, it also helps us not sin, like Psalm 119.11 tells us. Um, scripture is useful for teaching and, and rebuking and instruction, like 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 tells us. And, and we can look to these scriptures and understand that it's really important for us as believers to be ready when that opportunity comes and to know God's word, to hide it in our hearts, and to be ready to share the truth of what God has done when the Holy Spirit opens those doors for us. And the second thing that I think is important uh, is that 
Paul is not just ready, but he takes it really seriously. He stands up, he starts moving his hands, and he's very respectful in the way that he does this. He approaches his audience in a way that they're going to understand. He starts at the history of their nation and walks through it, and he tells, it, he tells them the good news of what Christ has done in a way that they're going to be able to relate to. And that's why it's, um, you know, they're going to understand, and the Holy Spirit's there and has allowed him to do that so that lives can be changed as a, as a result of Paul sharing the gospel. And so I think that the, uh, the last thing that I would just really want to leave you with is verse 26 says, Brothers, children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. And so it is to you and it is to me that this message of salvation has been sent. We are the ones who have received it. And that begs the question of us, what have we done with this message of salvation? What are we doing with it? If, you have, if the message of salvation, maybe this is the first time you've heard it, maybe you've heard it a long time ago, but uh, if it's never changed your life before, if the message of salvation that God through Jesus has made a way for us to be freed of our sin and that bondage, just like the nation of Israel used to be in bondage, we can be free from that and we can be alive in Christ, uh, then let that happen for you today. We would love to talk to you about that. Myself or our prayer team is going to be up here um, during our last song of worship, and we would love to talk to you about what it means to submit to Christ's lordship in your life. Um, but for those of us who are in Christ, we also have been entrusted with this message of salvation. It says to you, this message of salvation has been sent. And so we have the opportunity, but not just the opportunity, but the biblical obligation to go and to pass on that message that God has given us. Just like Paul is doing here, uh, Jesus commands us, uh, one of the last things that he said was to go and to make disciples of all nations. And we've been doing this study of Acts through 30 weeks. And what we see week after week after week is that the believers are constantly spreading the good news of how God has changed their lives. And so we as believers have to ask ourselves, and I have to ask myself, why does my life not look like that? Why am I not constantly sharing the good news of what God has done with everyone I come in contact with? Um, and, and I think that we, it's challenging that we have to spend time with God and to wrestle through some of those things because I don't necessarily have a great answer for you about why my life doesn't look like that or why your life doesn't look like that. And maybe it does, and I hope that it does. But uh, we should be challenged by what we're learning in Acts and what we see Paul do here to go and to take the gospel to all nations because uh, the Lord has entrusted us with this ministry of reconciliation, bringing people to himself. He has made us his ambassadors so we can implore people to be reconciled to God, as 2 Corinthians says. So let's trust in that. Let's believe what God teaches us in the Old Testament. Learn from those truths. And, you know, go back, spend some time this week, and, and look at some of the Bible stories that you grew up hearing or that, you know, you maybe haven't spent some time with before. And think about how they relate to the gospel and how you can pull gospel truth out of a story like David and Goliath or, you know, David in the lion's den or something like that. There are stories that we've heard a lot that re relate to and point to how God, since the beginning of time, has been redeeming his people and working out this great redemption, which is fulfilled in Christ, in which Paul comes and proclaims to these people, in which we should go out and proclaim to the people that God has put in front of us. So let's pray.